Hello and welcome to BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group, and this is episode 107. Our guest today is Musa Otto, the founder and president of League of Rebels. Welcome to the show, Otto. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mr. Bingham. Yeah. Well, the, the topic for today is business resilience and on, the entrepreneur mindset. And I know, uh, for those who don't know, uh, League of Rebels is Austin-based and it's on 2nd Street, downtown Austin. Uh, Otto has been a uh, long-term uh, confidant, friend of mine, professionally in, in business or professionally and personally. And then I'm also a big fan for those who follow me in, <laughs> on the social media channels of, uh, of League of Rebels suits. Um, but Otto, before we get into that, I want to just ask how you're doing, how you and the family are doing and all this. I know you have family uh, in the States and abroad. Yes, everyone's great, thankfully. Um, family's good, both here in the States and overseas. Um, most people outside the country, of course, are already getting back to normal than we are, but um, slowly and steady, we'll get there. Yeah, and I mean, where are you from originally? For those, you know, I mean, I, I can tell your Texas accent a little bit, but where? <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> Nigeria. So I'm, I'm Nigerian. Um, I'm from the north, Hausa. Got it, got it. Um, and well, let's do a quick background on League of Rebels, right? For those who aren't familiar with the brand. Yes, so Menswear Band founded it while still out at UT Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, professional tailoring, fine tailoring. We handle ready-to-wear, made-to-measure, full bespoke suiting. Um, the whole goal and concept of it was, you know, from childhood, I had to wear school uniforms, um, necktie blazers seven days a week. In university in Ukraine, on Mondays, we all wore a suit and a necktie. Um, it's just been part of my lifestyle, part of my life. Um, and then shopping at some, I think, downtown in Ukraine, in Kiev, mm-hmm. in a really expensive jacket. And I really wanted it, but then it was way too expensive for me. So I figured, well, why don't I just go straight to the manufacturing and do it myself? And that kind of... Makes sense. <laughs> down the road to just creating the brand and chugging on. Yeah, well, let's go back and talk about that. So, born and raised in Nigeria, and how did you find your way to the Ukraine? Because for, you know, for you know, for America, the American audience, anyway, you know, we don't. This doesn't happen, right? This doesn't happen. So, how did you find you know Nigerian born and raised in in um, Ukraine and Kiev, and didn't speak Russian when you got there? Correct? Did not. Did okay. not. Um, so school in Nigeria, we, I mean, we traveled a lot. So every year, you know, you go into England or the U.S. and uh, families in both places. Um, post-secondary school, which is um, high school, they call it here. My brother had a friend. My dad is in the military. I think one of his colleagues' son had gone to Russia and then one had gone to Ukraine. But one of them was my brother's friend. And he called my brother up and said, hey, you need to come here. And <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. So my brother told me, and I'm like, where? And he said, Ukraine. I literally, at that point, had to Google it um, to see where it was. And that was it, kind of, you know, so it was easier to convince my folks because we just said, you know, um, whoever's parents is, whoever is also there right now. So they called his parents up, figured I was legit. My dad had a friend at the embassy there who was a minister. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, we got the green light, basically, and that's how we ended up there. Right, I got it, man. I mean, that's one of the things I've enjoyed is learning more about your story. You speak fluent Russian now, of course. Yes, read, write, speak. Um, arrived day one, university. The only thing the professor knew how to say in English was, hello, how are you? Sit down, please. And, <laughs> you know, weeks later, 
we get you know conversing so life is good very good man well so we got a little bit of that earlier but how so overall how did you get into the retail business right so you started you know the factory aspect you went right to the factory to find you know the materials for your own jackets and then what happened after that and so in stages i guess i realized so the question came up what business are you in now um the most important thing for me first day first step was just getting nice quality suits and jackets um, direct from the manufacturers so I could wear. And then it became more interesting when I relocated to the US. Uh, I was doing international business, took on a marketing class, and then fell in love with marketing. And I did that, said I was, yeah, was going to get a marketing degree as well. Um, so the League of Rebels became a brand project. So next step or stage two that became important was creating a brand. So, you know, what's the brand identity? What's the story behind the brand? Um, what's the, the style and the, the vibe of the brand? Um, and kind of just went along with that, created that um, as that grew. Then the next channel is how do you take this brand out for people? How do people see it? How do people interact with it? Easier to set up a website. Did that for a number of years. But I was working as a business analyst um, the natural step, next step was how do we grow this company, which was going into retail. So mm. came with brick and mortar and figure that whole business out and thankfully still doing so. Yeah. It's a quick backstory. Actually, that's when I first, I first uh, was introduced to the brand, I think in 2012. And I think at that point, y'all had, I mean, we, I think we interacted on Facebook. So I think I liked when you're, I mean, you had a Facebook page, only had a website yet, but. I was like, hey, I love the suit. I was, I was in a photo shoot and they, uh, our mutual friend had styled me uh, from the shop on your suits. Remember, I didn't buy it, but I was like, oh, this is, this is a nice suit. Because <laughs> <laughs> cool, the first time we met in person, I did recognize you because I'd seen it. So Edge, we, did, we came to Austin in 2011 for Fashion Week, um, a store called Edge Boutique on Fifth and Brazos. Mm-hmm. Ed with us, took the brand in, and, and I guess they did the photo shoot. So yeah, I'd the photo of it, and then when you came in, I was like, "Yeah, I recognized you." Yeah, because I saw, I saw. I mean, y'all had your first brick and mortar as across from City Hall on Second Street, and I was like, "Oh, I know that brand. Oh, I know League Rebels. Oh, that's cool." And I remember coming in like, "Hey, man, I'm AJ. I'm, let me know what you need in town." And that was what that was seven, what six years ago, seven years ago. Um, wait, twenty sixteen, Q one twenty sixteen. So yeah, just about four years ago. But you know that, and that was great because the whole idea of it was. From 2011 till 2016, the goal was let's keep, you know, pinging Austin. Let's keep trying to get our foot in, getting a feel for the place, um, getting some brand recognition. So when we do come in, um, it's easier to carry along and develop for that. Well, let's talk about that too, man. So retail, even in, you know, quote unquote, good times, right, is a notoriously difficult business to and, you know, one, I think just to maintain and be successful in, right? It's almost, I think it's up there with restaurants to me, to be, you know, to be successful. And more so, you mean, you're on 2nd Street. For those who don't know, I mean, 2nd Street is, uh, east, it's a West 2nd Street, rather. It's a, it's a, you know, it's become a commercial thoroughfare. It bought, you know, City Hall's on there, the W Hotel, music, uh, ACL Live is there as well. Um, but but all, that be, all that being said, it's downtown Austin, so the rent's, are high <laughs> margins are probably you know just you know, I don't know what your margins are but I'm sure it's 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 a fight to maintain and I think uh, you know one of the things I've always respected about your, your respected about your business is I mean you open a one spot on Second Street 
but you've maintained your current office now, your current location rather, is just a little bit uh, west of Second Street, past around the way from Lambert's Barbecue. But you've expanded that, and you have two. You bought, you expanded to another shop that had went out of business or relocated. Yes. Um, so the neighbors went out, and we ran tight on space. So figured, okay, we'll just take the next door, um, the neighbor, the next door, and break a hole in the wall and connect them both. Yeah. And then pivots too. I mean, again, I want to, before we get into pivots with COVID-19, uh, I think, yeah, in Europe, I mean, what I've always brought our conversations is your, is the, is the marketing and branding aspect because at least from my view, you you see, you're willing to experiment and try things beyond just suits and everything else. And we'll talk about some of those things you've, you know, you've tried, you know, last, say the last four years, five years that we know each other, um, you know, just things you tried, pivoted, things that worked, things that didn't. And how do you, What's your thought process and wanting and when to cut it off? Um, yeah, sure. So with COVID specifically, I've always been more we've been more brick and mortar heavy. Uh, so that's the bread and butter for us. Um, websites online, it's a good channel to kind of segue people or customers into the store. Um, with COVID, the store no one's visiting stores, so we figured we had to you know put more fire or more wood to the fire for the online sector mm -hmm. um pump that a lot more so get a lot more traffic make sure everything was on the up and up so to say um curbside adding that option but another key one was the barbershop that we added which in smart covid is not still couldn't be used but that gave us the opportunity to stay active and keep planning for the future and once people as they've already started coming out um, there's the option to come have an exclusive experience in a single chair barbershop because now everyone's worried about, yeah, going to a barbershop with 10, 12 chairs, mm -hmm. but it's just you one person with one barber and um, that helps us grow. Yeah. I mean, even the masks, right? I mean, that was the first thing, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, it took me for I remember that first when I saw that post, I was like, oh, are these real, man? I want to buy some. And you're like, sure. Yeah. Which was great because for that, so yeah, we have the sales because we kept the employees, made sure, you know, trying to make sure everyone's busy or get stuff to do during the period of um, COVID and all. So the in-house tailor, since there are no suits for alterations, we got, okay, let's make masks. So he was able to start making masks, which as funny as it sounds, I wasn't convinced that was going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, just try whatever and we'll see how it goes. And boom, and it's been doing really, really well. Yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely uh, prescient on that one, man. I think because, I mean, now you're seeing, you know, major brands pull. I mean, every major clothing brand is putting out their masks with the fall. Um, sports, some other ones got, obviously got into it over the summer. But I remember, I think, yeah, I saw a post, yeah, on Instagram. I guess it was maybe March or, or April. And I was like, yeah, you had the kind of the concept mask on. I was like, yeah, I'll pick five of those, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's how you we had it ready. You had it ready. Though. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, and we've just been pushing that. Yeah, man. And then, so, I mean, entrepreneurially, I know you have several other ventures going on. We'll get to those too. But what drives you as an entrepreneur? Because it's not just, you're not a, a retailer. I mean, right. Like, I think we had this discussion before. Like, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur who got into lobbying, right? Versus just, just a, you know, lobbyist. And I think you view yourself the same way. There's, there's more extension of, of who you are as a brand and I mean, what drives you like fundamentally? Um, I think creating value. So just being able to wake up every day knowing by the time I go back to bed, I've created some sort of value. 
um, not, I don't care how large or how small, but just being able to create value. Are we driving our businesses forward? Are we making engagement with um, consumers? Are we coming up with new ideas for possible ventures, um, whether pivots or extensions, uh, just creating value? I think that's the key thing that drives me. Yeah. And I, I ask you this because I get asked this all the time and I, I don't, I mean, I, I tell them, you know, I enjoy my business is fun to me, but what do you, what do you do for fun? I know, I know you have, you have, a, you have a lovely wife and two lovely daughters. So, you know, you know, the fun you have with them, but what do you do? What do you do for fun? Um, which is weird because lately I, I think honestly, and you know, that's the normal, um, not cookie cutter, but that's just the normal cliche answer or oh, family stuff. Um, I don't know what I do for, for fun. I think I don't know work. So I think, I honestly think I work for fun. So I love, I can't say morning exercise or morning gym time. That's, it's just part of a routine. So that's not like, okay, I want to go have fun. Um, if I had more time, I'll golf more. Um, but even golfing, yeah, it's, it's fun, but it's not like you do it all the time, at least for me while I'm busy. So I think I just work or try to think of new ideas or just, chop on new ideas and that's yeah what. yeah I, I mean same thing man i think a lot, a lot of our conversations of the years have been around just i mean we've got the best i came out more energized talking about other ideas and just talking about brand and management those kind of things and i mean similarly man there are times i wake up like i was i was uh, talking to my intern this morning and she just asked me what was your what's your routine like like well i give it four usually and and sometimes like right before i'm getting up like i'll wake up just excited uh-huh. Even when it's a difficult day or it's been a difficult week, um, and I can't—I mean, not only I, I, I can just say because it's—I'm excited to chase the day. Just yeah, just get up. Because it's mine. I don't know. Like, I, I just like it. I mean, it's a blessing that you know. It's not obviously. I think it's unfortunate or I'm fortunate and and or blessed to have that mindset. But yeah, I wake up like charged and ready to go and I get after it. And like, it's fun to me. In, even when it's you know there's difficult when there's difficulties um and then what you know what what kind of books you're reading these days or audio or otherwise so audio i'm all audio these days there's really no time to i hardly get time to sit down and read um i just finished for the third time which i love it so much homeless a billionaire um <laughs> lately in the last month i've also read or listened to um, two of the founders dilemma and breaking into VC, mm-hmm. which one of those you understand why? Yeah, um, I read that. So I know I just um, I'm I mean I've been reading like a lot more pop, a lot of books from politics, but I actually just ordered a book um, about like, like uh, I think it's called Black Swan Event, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of a probably or apropos right now, but um, and also just there's a book I'd recommend. Well, not just for you, but for folks out there who are in professional services called. Uh, building the professional firm. It's a book that colleague recommended to me, a fellow lobbyist, and it's a really solid book for those who are lawyers or, or lawyers, uh, accounts and such, lobbyists who are looking to build a for a true on firm beyond a solo shop. And then what is what is making it look like? What is it, quote unquote making it look like for you? For me it's very simple. One word, driver. Driver, yes. Talk about well. Explain that, right? Because I didn't really. I mean, we talked about prior, but I didn't really realize that. I got it more now. Once we, you know, we 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 both traveled to Lagos, Lagos Fashion Week in Nigeria last October, 
and got to see that more up close. But what is it about having a driver? Like, what is that experience like? What does it culturally mean in Nigeria, like Lagos, anyway? Okay, for Nigeria, it's fine. It's quite normal, right? Um, I think having one in the U.S., like, I hate driving. Personally, I hate driving. I don't care for cars. Um, I don't. I think it's. I could be more efficient with my time, and if I'm sitting in the back seat while someone's riding in traffic or taking me wherever I need to go, I could be knocking out work um, rather than just sitting and driving. I hate driving. Um, so having a driver in back in Nigeria, it's normal. Um, at least it's not a luxury or not like a you know major luxury. Um, I have my cousins, my age mates. It's fine. They can have drivers already. That's fine. But in, like that what do you mean so like you just hire someone to i mean yeah, I just your cousin and she had a driver yeah so for her for example she has a driver in um and in your house so when you have a house you have um they call it's called um, a boy squatters mm-hmm. so it's a house outside like a smaller unit basically and they so room they have room they have board and then they have their days off and they drive you when you need to or where you need to go and that's just like the norm plus traffic over there it's you know it's, <laughs> a, it's a lot more crazy you saw I got, I got, oh you saw man, that, man. that was a whole other thing i had to just <laughs> i had to just uh i had yes. to just zone out and not think about it and just think the thoughts and just say have faith We're so gonna- imagine, Imagine the amount of emotional stress that would come with your work, with your businesses, with all the things you need to do. You have to go through those emotions on the road. So just being zoned out of it and focus, being able to focus on your work is a whole different thing. Um, it's way more affordable, obviously, in um, Nigeria. Um, not so much as it would be in the West in general, but regardless of where I am. So if I live in Austin, if I live in Dubai, if I live anywhere, I don't have to worry about driving. Like that's making it for me. Yeah, that's good, man. It's good. And let's get to some of your other endeavors. So there, I mean, we I had three listed here, but I know yes, mother ones. But we talked about these these three. Um, let's start with the VC. The VC fund you just launched a few week, a few months ago. Yeah. So um, new exciting stuff. Even you know when we went to Nigeria, I had a few meetings like down mm-hmm. at the hotel. So that's something I've been looking at for a little bit, and now at least we're able to start creeping our way into it. It's basically... What's, called? What's it called? Arewa Ventures. So Arewa means from the north, which in northern Nigeria, and I'm from the north, so um, that kind of goes. Um, but the goal being to reach, connect with individuals, um, founders, startups, very early stages in Africa, not just Nigeria specifically, but mostly in Africa, the first two we've been able to bring into the portfolio are here from the U.S., but the core goal is to target African-based um, markets because we can put more growth into the companies. We could also help propel them and bring them to the West. So whether it's to the U.S., to England, or Europe, uh, that's the core goal. Plus, for us, it's going to be cheaper than investing in U.S.-based startups. There's more access to dollars here, but even just going from a conversion standpoint, mm-hmm. um, it's already more bang to the buck. Um, and looking at the market where Africa is going, there's going to be a billion somewhat people over the next X amount of years within a short period. That market is going to explode. So being able to get in there early um, 
the whole VC raising funding scene is exploding, but not everyone in the West has access to that market. So being that I'm Nigerian, it's easier for me to get in there, get my hands dirty, find the right groups, find the right companies, help put everything in line, build it up, and then bring it this way to te basically tee it up for the US market. So that's the goal. And what about a dolphin group? A dolphin group um, holding. So because of all these multiple things, just to keep everything in line, created a dolphin group. So a dolphin group, I don't own League of Rebels, right? A dolphin group owns League of Rebels. I'm a managing member um, in a dolphin group. So a dolphin group owns League of Rebels, owns Arewa um, Ventures, owns a dolphin trading company, and anything else we put on there. That way, with time, it's, you know, th thinking about layer cake, right? Mm -hmm. So I start at the bottom and it's basically building one, two, three companies um, getting the right people to start running those companies, move up one step, um, do the same thing, but it's a lot less, you know, and then move up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, you know, PG, staying PG version. Okay, we're talking about the movie, Larry Kick, the movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's the scene. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's getting less and less, but going up. So the goal being to end up where I just have to manage a dolphin group and mm -hmm the whole chain going down is world yeah, recent. Yeah. That rarefied atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. And then let's talk about your podcast too. I know, I mean, I was on your show, it seems like it was months ago, it wasn't that long ago, but Founder State. And yeah. the goal is there and just, and we'll include links to all these, your companies in the show notes too. But what, what, what's the concept of Founder State? So everything's intertwined, right, um, to some degree, but I always wanted to get into just chatting casually with like-minded individuals, kind of like how we always do, right, when we meet, but chatting with founders, but specifically not big, all-set corporate companies, um, founders who still have their hands somewhat in the dirt. Mm. Um, just looking at, you know, what are you doing? What is your strategy? What's your business model? How did you get into it? Um, what's the growth plan? And how do you maintain your sanity? Like, because how do you maintain, how do you manage stress? Um, we know how life can get crazy in what we do. So just being, having that medium to collaborate, not to collaborate, but to talk and share slash exchange information, um, that's the goal. It also falls into a way where it out of that though we got our first portfolio company because i was chatting with brandon mm. turman um, with rug and that's you know chatting it got more interesting for me we chatted offline we continued that conversation and then we invested in the company so it's once i start speaking with more startups in africa it's it's a potential source deal sourcing mechanism so to say because uh, you get to chat with more people, you get to understand, and if something comes of it, great, but at the very least, um, there's that exchange of information, and it's also educational, right? So other founders could listen to people in their industries, or even regardless of industry, it's all the same thing we sort of go through as founders and entrepreneurs, yeah. so others being able to learn from what other individuals experienced um, would make it helpful. Got it, man. And then last thing with the with the VC fund, are y'all are you looking for partners or investors that for your just to for your portfolio companies now? Or I mean, we'll put the links in the show notes. But are you for those? I mean, can folks reach out to you directly 
um, for more information about how they can potentially qualify or invest with you? Um, okay, so that for LPs or limited partners, yeah. um, we're not taking on limited partners because we kind of want to, I think it's, it's somehow easier to start that way because once you get limited partners, there's more cash, there's, more, there's a big cash pool and you kind of understand how to go along. But I always hold myself responsible where it's like, okay, we're just starting, we're new. Let's try this for a bit. Let's get used to the groove. Let's get a redeem. Let's figure um, a really full-on strategy. I mean, whatever can still happen, you know, I can say that to then maybe a good opportunity will come and, you know, how life goes. Um, but we're not actively looking for LPs because we kind of want to get a groove of things, have a flow, and then know where we stand, figure out how to configure those future deals before we can now actively, you know, look for LPs. No, I like it, man. Conservative approach. Well, Musa Otto is the founder and president of Legal Rebels, amongst other uh, endeavors and brands. Thank you for your time, and uh, hopefully you get a nap at some point today. <laughs> hopefully so. Thank you.